This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode number 234, Matt and Julie Urbanski, world adventurers, through hikers, ultra runners. Hi friends, Kurt here. Hey, one quick announcement before the show today. This week, Outdoor Retailer is taking place in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Travis and I are going to be there covering the show for you. So if you're not able to make it to Outdoor Retailer, then you'll still get a taste of what it's all about. This is probably the biggest trade show in the nation, if not the world, for the outdoor industry. All sorts of adventures are going to be there, including us. If you are going to Outdoor Retailer, jump on our website, click the Contact Us button, tell us how to reach you. Let's get together while we're there, especially on Tuesday night. On Tuesday night, if you'd like to meet up, it would be a lot of fun. So just jump on our website, AdventureSportsPodcast.com, click that Contact Us button, and we'll make it happen. Looking forward to it. You guys take care, and on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Man, do I have a fun show for you today. I have Matt and Julie Urbanski on the line. And Matt and Julie, wow, they live such an adventurous lifestyle. They've done through hiking. They do ultra-distance running. And they've been doing adventure travel with their brand new son, Pavo. It's just an amazing lifestyle that they've set up for themselves. And I want to go into a lot more detail about that. Matt and Julie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks, Curtis. Well, I'm excited to have you here because, you know, the the approach to life that you've chosen that affords you all of these experiences, life-enriching experiences, and now adding your son into the mix and continuing on with that, I think it's a beautiful thing that you're doing. So why don't you take a moment and just fill in all of the gaps that I left there about how you two got started with your adventures and your running and your travel and how you've built a lifestyle around that. Sure. Um, I mean, it's really been a thing that we've both done our really our entire adult lives. I mean, I hiked the Appalachian Trail uh, when I was 19, and I met Julie shortly after college, and we moved to Ethiopia shortly after graduating from college and lived there for six months together. Um, and it's really just been an ongoing thing. We've done some of the, the regular corporate work stuff in between, but we, we've built our lives to a point now where we're both able to just kind of continuing continuously travel and work along the way um, and be able to do a lot of really cool things. I mean, we've, we've got, we schedule out probably six months at a time, but we're continuing to look ahead as far as all the, the options we have as a family for exploring the world. Well, that's fascinating. So, Julie, answer this one. You guys started out with a lot of through hiking, and you did the three major trails, right? Yes. So that's the Triple Crown. I don't know if you know this, but fewer people have done the Triple Crown than have walked on the moon. Wow. Whoa. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah, Liz Thomas told us that, and she's one of the Triple Crown holders. She held the women's speed record for the AT for a long time. And I'm sure that soon that number is going to flip-flop, but that's how few people have actually done that. And in addition to that, you've done other trails like the Colorado Trail. So, Julie, tell me about thru-hiking a little bit. (laughs) It's really hard. <laughs> um, I mean, I went to it with no backpacking experience, and 
<sighs> I think for me, it's more of a, it's a it's a love hate thing. I I love it because I love I don't know like athletic endeavors, and then it's, it's I wouldn't say hate, but like it's just hard. So like mentally and physically, and uh, you just sign up for a long a long adventure, point to point, and uh, carry everything on your back. And in a way, it's super simple because your whole life is on your back. But then in a way, it feels so complicated because some days you're just not mentally into it and you're all over the place thinking of other things or, um, yeah. So you're really giving it a mixed review, and I get that totally. But it didn't stop you (laughs) from doing all the trails. You know, some people don't finish the first trail. Other people finish one and say, okay, I've done that. But you guys went on to keep doing it. So what kept you going forward? I, I still just love the challenge of it. And I do love the lifestyle of like not having to deal with so many other things of just like regular life of like utility bills and going, going to the office or just regular life stuff. You just get to put that all aside and just focus on walking each day with your life on your back. And it's super simple. And, uh, I love doing it with Matt. Like I would never, I personally would never want to just do it alone. I like doing it with Matt and having that, that adventure together and spending all that time with him. And hopefully one day, maybe we do something with Pavo. Um, I don't, I don't have this like dream of doing a through hike with him, but it'd be cool to hike or do a shorter trail with him. Or if he were into that, that'd be cool. But if not, then that's fine. So for our listeners who don't really know much about through hiking, we're talking about multi-thousand mile hikes through the Appalachian Trail from Georgia up to Maine or the uh, Pacific Crest Trail from Mexico to Canada or the Colorado Trail. Or, I'm sorry, the Continental Divide Trail is what I was yeah. thinking that goes from almost Mexico up to Canada mm-hmm. to Glacier National Park. So these are these are huge hikes that take a long time. How long does it take to do these trails? I'd say anywhere from four to six months. So it took us, the, it took the Pacific Crest Trail, it took us actually about three and a half months. We did that pretty quickly. And then the Appalachian Trail was about four months. And then the Continental Divide Trail was about four months. Of the big three, do you have a favorite? Hmm. It's a classic question. It is a classic and, question. And it depends on which aspect we're talking about. It depends, like, if you want the, like, the AT was great for the social aspect, and I, we love the PCT. It was just a nice, smooth hike. And I, personally, I'm going to say I love the CDT. I love just how it was out. It just felt like we were out there a little bit more. It required a little more, like, hiking skill. We never had to have navigation skills before. Um, it just felt like a tougher hike in a lot of ways. And, and that about, I really, that part of it really appealed to me. Yeah. Of the three, which one do you think is the easiest? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know that any of them are easy. (laughs) (laughs) It depends. It, it like the, the AT is easier in the sense that you have access to, to people and roads and restaurants and food really frequently, but it's really tough because it's, they don't do as many switchbacks, and it's a rockier trail in a lot of respects. Whereas, like the PC, it's a wet trail. Yeah, we got rained yeah. on a ton. We got rained on almost two thirds of our time. Yeah. Whereas mm. Pacific PCT, we got rained on five days out of a hundred and nine. So wow. it's like no rain. <laughs> and it's a nice smooth trail. At least when we hiked it in two thousand seven, I mean, the switchbacks and a nice nice dirt path the majority of the way. So it was like easier walking, but yet there wasn't as much town access. So I guess it depends on what what aspect is the challenging part for each individual person. But um, I I guess I would say that the CDT is definitely not the easiest of the three. (laughs) It's either the AT or the PCT from our experience. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, that's uh, 
similar to answer or similar answer to what we've heard from other people who have done the three is that the the Continental Divide Trail is kind of the granddaddy. That's that's a different ball game. So how is it different? Well, it definitely takes more skill. Like you actually need navigation skills, GPS skills, just more patience. It's not completely finished, so you just have like a wide open piece of land and you just have to find which way to go according to maps and GPS points and um, there, there's not just a defined path the whole way, which was definitely hard getting used to. Um, we were terrible at it we at were first. Terrible. We would get lost and we would get so frustrated. We're, I think we're we love the outdoors, but we're more like the athletic endurance athlete. Like I think that's like more part of our personality. And so with the AT and the PCT, we never even had a map. We just followed the trail and had a guide, like the basic little data book. Um, whereas that we got on the CDT and it was like. <laughs> We we went the wrong way. We'd be a mile or two out the wrong way before we'd realize it. And so it was just – it took us a long time to like get in our groove and actually have a good system for using the GPS or using the maps and staying on – you know going in the right direction at least. <laughs> it's also the longest trail. Yeah, uh, yeah 3,000. And you have to juggle the seasons a lot more. Like you have a way mm-hmm. shorter window to hike given Colorado because you have to wait for the snow to melt in Colorado, but then – can't go in there too late because there's fires if it's too dry so it's like this huge um juggling act of the right timing for each state and you want to finish in time before snow and glacier and then there's grizzly bears oh my gosh it just keeps going (laughs) (laughs) well the the um the continental divide trail is interesting in that it it brings a lot more i think true outdoor skills up to the surface i mean if you don't have those skills it's going to be a bigger challenge that's what i hear you saying yeah and just more patience, and it's like the PhD of of through hiking for me. It was. <laughs> Is that piled yeah. higher and deeper? Is that what that stands for? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Well, I, it is a delightful trail, and obviously, I'm from Colorado. I've hiked sections of it, and and I really enjoy it. And one thing that I've noted about through hiking in Colorado is you have to be spot on with your maps and your, yes. your location and know where you are, it, even if you're not trying to do the CDT. Um, sometimes you, you choose a trail, and you think it's going to take you where you want to go, and, and you shouldn't trust the trail too much. You better pay attention to your navigation. So it might lead you down the primrose path to a completely different place. <laughs> Even just the time of day in Colorado with thunderstorms. It's just, uh, it was so stressful every day to try and beat the thunderstorms or be on the right ridge or not be too exposed. Like if you knew you had like a 10 mile, you know, section of exposure, you're like, am I going to do that at 1 p.m. in the afternoon? I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I've certainly had days when you can be well above tree line, you know, all day long and everything's fine. But that yeah. is not generally the case. I would right. say more days than not, you really have to be careful about the lightning storms. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. So you are both in excellent condition, ultra distant runners, that sort of thing. How did the elevation, the altitude impact you on the CDT? I would say we adjust pretty well. I'm, I don't really get affected unless it's above, I think like 12.5 is kind of my like, threshold for when i start feeling it but i will say that while it it was a kind of a gradual increase in elevation making our way from new mexico up to colorado we ended up having to jump around like there were fires in the san juans in 2013 when we hiked it so we had to skip a section of colorado and then we came back from glacier after we finished in canada back and hiked the section in colorado that we had to skip because it was on fire 
And when we went from Glacier back to the San Juans, we got our butts kicked. Oh, that was It really was hard. hard. Like, we went up into the San Juans just right from, what was that, Wolf Creek Pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and we it was tough. Like, that, because I think it wasn't gradual and we had heavy packs, I mean, we, we that, that section struggled. was hard. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> Yeah, I don't doubt it. I, it does help a lot when you can ease into it. You know, just flying into Colorado and trying to take on the, the peaks is tough. I've done it when I didn't live here, and it, it is a butt kicker, no doubt about it. No <laughs> doubt about it. Well, congratulations, you guys. The Doing those hikes is awesome. You also added on the Colorado Trail, which goes from Denver to Durango. Mm-hmm. What was that like? That was probably my favorite trail so far in the sense that it was short, it was it only took us three weeks. Uh, I love the little towns along the way. Um, we had b- beautiful weather. Like we had, I think one day where we were worried about lightning, but we had this like amazing string of weather in late August, early September, where it was just fantastic. And we there was snow three days after we finished, so we finished in the nick of time. Uh, and I loved that trail. I would I would recommend that to anybody who wants a shorter trail, but still a through hike, like a real point to point where you have a defined like, yes, this is a through hike because uh, it's just gorgeous, too. It's like the mm-hmm. best parts of Colorado. But by but by the end of it near, you know, the 500 mile mark, we were both starting to feel like eh, getting kind of tired of walking this much every day. But we were almost to Durango. So it was like it was it was perfect timing. It's it's just a great little trail. When we talk about which one's our favorite, sometimes I mean, that one comes up in the in the discussion pretty frequently. Yeah, <laughs> mm, that's interesting. You know, large sections of the Colorado Trail are open to mountain biking and even motorcycles. And we love motorcycles and we love mountain biking on this program. But as a hiker, was that an issue mm. for you? I wouldn't say so. No. no. Uh, we saw mountain bikers on, I think, the second day, but that was it. And then we saw motorcycles or like dirt, what, I don't even know what they're called, dirt bikes. <laughs> yeah. ATV um, I'm so foreign to that world, dirt bikes. <laughs> so we saw them on like one of the days and they were super nice to us. And uh, no, I I mean. Even even as a trail runner now, like we, we hear about sort of a, tough relationships between mountain bikers and trail runners or hikers and in our experience everyone i mean we haven't run into the the mean nasty ones that we (laughs) everyone's been really cool for the most part (laughs) i would say the harder thing for us was we started and then hunting season opened Mm, when we were in the middle of our hike Uh, i would say the hunting was actually worse because people were hunting like from the trail which i don't think they're actually supposed to uh, and then like, we were kind of worried about like, were we visible enough? Should we wear like orange? Yeah. <laughs> Our green packs are kind of like blending in with the trees. I would say the hunting scared me more than anything. Um, mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I have done a fair amount of hiking here during hunting season. I've never had any incidents, but it does kind of change the dynamic. I think you should be a little bit more cautious and it certainly doesn't hurt to be visible. So yeah. <laughs> no doubt about it. Well, it's interesting when it comes to sharing the trail. I'm a huge proponent of that. And since I do hike, I do mountain bike. Travis, my co-host, does a lot of dirt biking. So Mm -hmm. just about every way you can use a trail, we use the trails. We even go horseback riding from time to time, rarely. But, you know, what we have found is it always seems like the slower mode of travel is the one that kind of gets a little bit annoyed at the faster mode of travel. We've had mountain bikers get annoyed at motorcycles. We've had hikers get annoyed at mountain bikers. And we've had slow mountain bikers get annoyed at fast mountain bikers. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, I want to just 
for our listeners out there. These trails are multi-use, and it's wonderful no matter what the sport. We support them all. And I think it does require us to realize that, you know, the mountain bikers don't own the trail. Neither do the hikers. Instead, we can all go have our experience and uh, be generous with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement. Well, and it's more funding for the trails. I, yeah. I would think the more users you allow. And, I mean, you all want funding for trails to be maintained and opened and expanded. Sure. Travis told a funny story the other day of a mountain biker getting very angry at him because he was on a motorcycle, even though he mountain bikes too. But the kicker was that the trail that they were on was built by a motorcycle club for dirt bike riding. Right. right. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, well, okay. <laughs> we, I remember thinking the same thing when we were hiking the PCT and we're like, man, there is horse crap all over this trail. This <laughs> is so annoying. But then we come to find out like, the the equestrian clubs down in Southern California are a big reason why there's so much so much good trail down there. So it's like, well, I guess I can't be too upset about yeah. about this because we have a good trail because of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, a little understanding goes a long way, and I'm just so glad that we have such a beautiful trail system in the United States that we can enjoy no matter how you want to encounter nature in the trails. It's it's just a wonderful gift that we have here. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, I would like to move on from your through hiking. I mean, we could do a 10 shows on through hiking alone, but you guys have done so much. If we stick on through hiking, then we're going to miss out on all the other great stuff. So let's talk about your ultra distance running for a while. Now, was this before the through hiking or did it come after? Uh, it actually happened right along with it. I think we both ran our first ultra, a 50 mile trail race in 2008. It's uh, just a quick background. We're both, we've both been runners pretty much so our whole lives and we went from tracks and cross country in high school and college up to road marathoning and then to the trails and we've been doing it yeah since 2008 yeah on the trails yeah pct was 2007 and i remember meeting like we met ultra runners actually in uh the la like is it san bernardino somewhere around somewhere there. Yeah, around they were there. training for the los, they were training for the los angeles crest and we were like what or is the that crest, yeah. we were like what is that and then we we were just fascinated and then that kind of like planted the seed i think and then 2008 uh we were like we've done 2600 miles we can do a 50 miler and so we kind of just jumped in and i remember we're it was like a 4000 foot climb and i asked someone next to me i was like is this is this climb long like are we is this hill over soon and they kind of like looked at me like are you crazy did you even look at what you signed up for so we tend to have a history of not yeah, I'm just sort of jumping in. Well, no, we don't jump in anymore. We <laughs> we research, but that kind of started it, I think. And then we've always intermingled like shorter stuff, longer stuff, ultra stuff with our through hikes, and I think they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah. Well, I see here your trail names: Optimist and Stopwatch. Am I right? <laughs> You got it. Yep. <laughs> so what's cool about that is that what you just said, well, we have a history of just jumping in. That was the optimist speaking. Yeah. <laughs> and the and stopwatch then, is like, no, no, no. <laughs> Julie's got the stopwatch. So how did you get these trail names? Uh, well, I got mine on the PCT. So not only being a runner, I just thought we'd start the trail and like every mile would be like a 20 minute mile, you know, three miles an hour. And so like if we had to do a 50 mile day, it's like, okay, five hours of hiking. And it, definitely doesn't work that way and uh so we get to like a creek and i'm like this isn't the creek we were supposed to be at we're behind and i just thought that's what you were supposed to do is kind of have like a schedule and like a timed miles i don't know why but that's just what in my mind i expected and it obviously wasn't that way so i had to kind of like give up the watch there was a lot of frustration in the first part of the through hiking together (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's since obviously like given up the watch, given up the like must have to do this amount of miles each day. And I still like trying to do that stuff, but I, I try not get so worked up about it. And now that there's a kid in the mix, like there's no way that's happening. <laughs> so, uh, we, we had, uh, we hiked with a, a good friend named rocket cop uh, on the beginning of the PCT. And he and I made a, a group decision that it was best that Julie not have her watch. We took the watch for a couple weeks and then we realized she was memorizing the data points so it was like we had to limit access to her viewing the data book because she would still get frustrated <laughs> when we weren't keeping pace. <laughs> wow. So, Julie, how did the experience change when you finally let go of the chronographer? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it's like a total flip the switch. Like, oh, I suddenly just smelled the roses kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, it was definitely more more of a like appreciate this because it may not ever happen again. The stars may never align to do another through hike, which it, obviously the, the stars did align to do more, but I would say just a greater appreciation. I wouldn't say it was just like a, Oh, I love every day of my life now, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm probably less of an optimist as I know I'm a less of an optimist as Matt. So <laughs> can't say it was a total sunny view, but it was better. Yeah. It was a general like, Change, gradual change in perspective. We still had our challenging days where it wasn't fun to through hike, or we weren't happy with how long it was taking to get somewhere. But uh, you just had a, a more fuller, more enriched perspective. I think just the more and more we live that trail lifestyle. Yeah. Well, I imagine with your ultra running, you know that there's a lot more about how long did it take, how fast am I covering the terrain. Right. You know, that sort of an approach to ultra running. So I could see how that would kind of push into backpacking and, and motivate that so, that same kind of time-sensitive approach. Right. It's hard to turn that part of your brain off and, like, that part of your sort of approach off, mm -hmm. I would say. I've climbed Long's Peak several times, and once I climbed it with a guy that was very time-conscious and competitive, and we did Long's Peak in seven hours when it usually takes 12 to 14. Oh, my gosh. And that was an amazing experience because I was with that guy. And then I went back with the people that do it in 16 hours. <laughs> and I've done it that way as well. And you know what? I love both experiences. Yeah. So I can see where you guys would be coming from there. Yeah, yeah and, and just to piggyback on that, like we, we've often, I don't know if we've taken any flack for it, but... You know, some people just don't see our way of doing it as fun. Yeah, you know, they don't understand why we like to hike thirty mile days when we're on the CDT, or you know. And it's not that we have this like sort of deep down desire to do it faster than somebody else, but like we do also love this the feeling of, that we get at the end of a thirty mile day where we're both just tired and exhausted, and we lay down in our tent after eating food, and we just lay there and think Man, that was a good day. We put in a really good effort, and it feels good. And like, it's our own kind of fun that you know, not everyone understands, but like it, like you said, it, you can enjoy it, it for what it is in doing it in seven hours, or you can enjoy it in 16. It's the same thing. I mean, whether we're hiking all day or if we're doing a, a more leisurely pace, I mean, they're all, it's, a, we've had great experiences either way. So that's Optimus speaking again. So how did you get that trail name? <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was because I... Basically, uh, when I started the AT, my friend and I started it late when I was 19. We've, we, After my first year of college, I took my second year off and we hiked. But we started in June and we didn't even realize it was that late to be starting. But we were at the back of the pack. And we, we learned along the way that people had trail names. And I had a T-shirt that said Optimist and my friend had a T-shirt that said Animal. And we said, well, I guess these are going to be our names. It seems fitting that we have shirts with our names on it. So I don't know if I had 
chosen the shirt optimist because I was naturally optimistic or I've become an optimist because people have called me optimist since I was 19. Mm. But it seems pretty fitting at this point. So um, whether I adapted it because it was my name or because I – yeah, either way, I had a shirt that said optimist. So it wasn't a, a great story, but it's, it seems to fit who I am now. At least it feels like it. <laughs> Well, Julie, I want to ask you this question about Matt. See if I can get you guys in trouble here. Um, <laughs> you have adopted a lifestyle that's unique. You're traveling the world now with your son, and you've done all of these ultra-distance runs. You are triple crown holders. And to I, I'm just going to say it this way. To dive into this lifestyle, there are a lot of challenges, and I would think a lot of scary moments, a lot of risk at least perceived from the outside looking in, I think a lot of people would say, that's kind of risky, isn't it? So, Julie, how much does Matt's optimism come into play here? He's a really great salesman. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He's a fantastic salesman and very persuasive. Uh, We call him the slow drip method, where he just kind of like plants a seed and keeps kind of watering it drip by drip. And so suddenly you have like a plant in front of you, and you're like, where did this come from? How did this, how am I... Suddenly in Mexico City with my four-month-old. Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, it's definitely got challenges because he is so optimistic. and But he's his personality, hes it's just so persuasive. It's like, how did I agree to this? And, you know, when you're in the middle of it, when, you're, when I was like in the middle of New Mexico, you know, among cow fields looking for a, where to go, I'm like, how did I ever sign up for this? Um, so it has its challenges, but then... Sometimes when I'm in the middle of the challenge, I think like, well, what would I really rather be doing? Would I really rather be like in an office or in just kind of like the, not a typical lifestyle, but in my normal like routine, would I really rather be doing that? And it's usually, I usually don't say yes. I, I, if I really am honest with myself, I don't say yes. Or thinking about raising Pavo, like, would I really rather just be in one place all the time? and not being exposing him to all this stuff or not, you know, exposing, trying this with my family. And I, and I, I don't, I don't really think so. I'd rather, and you know, honestly, as you know, like raising kids is going to be hard no matter what. So if, if it's just a little bit harder with traveling, then so be it. It's not like, it's not like a question of whether it's, well, it's easy raising them at home and then it's hard raising them abroad. Like it's hard no matter what. So you might as well just do it all. And then, have that life experience too at the same time of being hard yeah no doubt you know i i really do believe that when it comes to adventure can do will do and yeah you know until until you have that can do attitude you you're probably going to have some challenges on any major adventure but once you do have that attitude then it opens up the whole world so it sounds like you guys have a great balance there yeah and sometimes it gets out of balance but yeah <laughs> <laughs> We're continually learning how to do this sort of travel as we're doing it. You know, whether it's you know, we 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 stayed in France for two months this summer in the Alps, and it was fantastic. But then we found ourselves in a really small town without a car. We don't speak French, and we didn't know anybody. And it was pretty isolating by the end, and that was really tough. But we didn't think about that when we were signing up for it that that would be a thing that was challenging. Or recently, we've been visiting lots of friends on the west coast of the u.s in seattle and in san francisco and everyone invites us to stay but we didn't realize before we did this how tiring it can be to be sort of like always on with people um not having our own space 
So like as we're learning these things, we think, okay, well, for the next time, how do we do it better so that we don't encounter some of these same challenges? And it's part of why I think we even re, re or why we kept through hiking. We we get to the end of a trail in the last week and we think, man, if we were do, to do another one, not saying we would do another one, but if we <laughs> did, how would we do it differently? And inevitably, we end up doing another one because we want to do try it better again. and try again. So. Yeah, it's not that – I mean things get out of balance in this travel lifestyle with Pavo just because we, we're learning as we do it. But And he's constantly changing. So it's yeah. like what works for a couple months won't work in like six months because he's a different kid. He'll be walking or running or eating this or who knows. Absolutely. Yeah, raising kids, it's a constant adventure and it will impact the way you do everything else. There's no way around that. But if you say, okay, that's cool. That's part of the program here, then that's what makes it work and I think enriches the whole experience. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. The Bearline Plus by 180 Tech is the handiest Bearline utility cord system you can find. This is not your typical Bearline. Our lightweight cord system is designed to be compact, lightweight, frictionless, and very versatile. Don't risk losing your dinner. Hang it the right way. The Bearline Plus is designed to suspend food between two trees up to 40 feet apart and 15 feet above the ground with much less effort than other Bearlines. Not only does the Bearline Plus keep your food away from bears, it is designed to be useful for many other needs including a motorcycle and ATV recovery system, tie-downs, straps, backpack repair, guy lines for tarp or tent, a tow line, block and tackle, and much, much more. Find your Bearline Plus at 180tech.com or retailers near you. I want to jump on your website. By the way, for our listeners, Irbyville.com. It is so cram-packed with wonderful stories and pictures and uh, a lot of other resources that it, it's just a, a great place to spend a, a weekend morning, you know, if you want to just kind of soak up what this lifestyle is all about. Go to Irbyville.com. That's U-R-B-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. But on Irbyville.com, you have a page here that says values. I want to read these off because I love this. And uh, let's see, the first one here is caring. Whatever the job, give it full attention and effort. Next is discipline. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. Next is adaptable. Whatever the circumstances, figure it out. 
Then comes honest. We're not into lying ever. Connect. Relationships make life better exponentially. And emotion. It is so good to feel, smile, love, cry, soak it all in. I love those. How much do those values help you on your through hikes, on your, your altered distance running, on your world travels with a young child? We're looking at each other thinking, who's going to answer that? And it's it's good to hear those. You know, we, we probably we wrote them down knowing that we want to keep revisiting them and they're part of who we are. But even just hearing it, like we, we were talking this morning about some of the challenges with our current travel situation. And just hearing that, I'm like, oh, yeah, there's a reason why we do this and why we keep trying to figure these things out and to keep keep pushing ourselves to, to experience more. And um, those those values are the things that, you know, whether it's the middle of the night and a hundred miler in in the Alps in France or the middle of the desert in New Mexico, that those are the things that help us keep going and to keep trying and to keep doing more. So, I mean, it's, it's actually really refreshing to hear those again. And actually, it's really cool, Curtis, to hear someone else read them. I don't know that I've ever heard anyone else read those yeah, out loud to cool. us. But it's those are the things that are important to us. And keeping those, those are probably, actually, now it ties back into your question about balance. I mean, as long as we keep those values in mind, it's way easier to, something like hits us by surprise, it's easier to regain our, our balance if we just remember those those things, uh, those values. Julie, what do you think about that? <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well said. I, I can't really say it better than that. Uh, it's really cool hearing them, and it makes me think God, we should probably print those and have them actually like tattooed or printed somewhere. <laughs> so I look at them way more often when I'm when I'm having my like rougher days or uh, the sleep deprivation of a kid is killing me still. Oh, so. Yeah. Papa still gets up two to three times a night, so it's getting used to that has been a little tougher. But especially traveling, because you're like, you know, in your mind, you're thinking, oh, would this be easier if I was just stable and maybe you would sleep? But you can't tell yourself that. You gotta, I don't know, just keep going. Yeah, it's tough, no doubt. My wife and I came up with some family values. We wrote them down on a sheet of paper early in our marriage, and they we, we put them on the refrigerator or in the office, and it was just a reminder of why we do what we do, what really matters. And a lot yeah. of them are, were directly in line with the values that you've written here. Like, we didn't yeah. say honesty, we said integrity. Same thing. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. And uh, instead of caring, we had generosity. So, but the point is, it guided us and it gave us that, oh, yeah, this is why we do what we do. And it really helps raising the kids, too, just like you said. Yeah. It's the reminder of what really matters. So let's talk about the kid, Pavo, December 7th. Was that a year ago? Yeah, December 7th. So he's just over a year. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. What is it like traveling the world with a one-year-old or younger? You want to start? It, it's, I mean, it we just had to change our, our approach. I mean, and I, I don't think that it was even like a conscious decision. It was just like, well, we have, we have different parameters with which we're working when we're traveling now and moving around. So things just changed a little bit. Um, but it was, it was fantastic. I would say, yeah, we had to change expectations, change pace. Like everything is slower. Uh, you know, we, we used to travel kind of hard in the sense that you'd get into a place, you'd get off the plane, maybe take a train or take a car or, or go to your hotel and then have to go figure out food. You, you know, as you know, with kids, you can't push them that far. Like they just cannot do it. Right, and so right. it's not fun either. So we've slowed our expectations. 
and tried doing it such that like we only take direct flights or whenever we get to a place, we just find a hotel and like get our bearings and just try and get sleep right away or slow it down and not try and go to four or five different places. You know, Julie, I think a lot of couples give up travel when they have the first kid, at least in part. They put yeah. it on the shelf for a season, right? Yeah. And you've continued on. You're proving that it's it's doable. What advice would you have for, for those people? Yeah, I would say just slow it down. And like, say, for instance, you know, we went to Athens for a week. And typically, you'd probably want to go to a different place every day or two different like things, sightseeing things every day. And it's exhausting just as an adult. And so to think about doing that with a kid, we were like, uh, no way. We were doing like one thing max per day, if that. And so I would say slow it down and try and stay in one place more than just like one day at a time. Like we try and do a week at a time when we go to places uh, so that we feel like we really like have a chance to buy groceries uh, or um, not just eat out because eating out with kids is not fun either. So yeah, <laughs> we've definitely changed in that perspective i would say well why do you do it why do you travel um, one because we can we've built our lifestyle such that we can with matt coaching online and two it is so incredibly rewarding and it's and with a kid it's actually he pavo is like the key to people's hearts like people in mexico loved him we matt would wear him on his little front pack and look like a little proud peacock just sticking his chest out so people could see pavo and he just they just love him. They loved him in Athens. They loved him in Romania. And it's just so cool to see people's eyes light up or their smile. And people are just so much nicer with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's cool. I never thought of that. You know, we talk a lot on the show or we've talked some on the show about how riding a bicycle opens doors for strange reasons that I don't really fully understand. But uh, if you're biking rather than hiking, somehow it legitimizes what you're doing, it seems. And people are so receptive to people on a bicycle. But what you're saying is the baby is doing that for you. And that's a cool idea. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I, mean, we, I remember walking down just a, a little by a bunch of cafes in Athens and a guy that you would never expect, like this guy probably in his mid thirties sitting at a table by himself. He's like, Hey, Hey, come on over here. And he, we, we walk up and he just grabs Pavo's cheek. He's like, you're so cute. And he just loving, you know, loving the kid. And we end up talking with the guy, you know, it's, it, it's that kind of stuff that just gives us way more, uh, like person, personal connections wherever we go. Um, so Pavo has been great for it. And we, we feel like it's, I, we we have this bigger idea of the idea of being like a global citizen and raising our kid to think of himself more as a global citizen and I think it needs to start from the beginning like he he sees the whole world as his home and he thankfully he has the ability and we can take him to all these places and I don't know we just want it to be the normal for him to be able to go anywhere in the world and and fit in and adapt and um, I mean he won't remember this trip but at least this first part of it, but... And he flies free for the first two years. Yeah. So. <laughs> Take advantage of that. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. We could all benefit from more travel and, and understanding what it means to be a global citizen. I love that that thought, and I love what you're doing. Um, you know, some people would say young children need stability. So how would you answer that challenge? Well, the stability is in our family unit. It's... we. He has his mom and his dad with him 24/7 every day. I mean, we're always there. Um, he, that's that's like that's what he knows, and he knows he has a little travel crib. He has the same crib everywhere we go. But otherwise, I mean, he's more adaptable than we are in a lot of situations. 
I mean, this is what he knows. And so I, I think that oftentimes it's the adults that crave the stability more than it is the kid. Um, he's super social. Uh, he smiles at everybody and put him on a playground. It doesn't matter if we're in Romania or Mexico City or San Francisco. He's crawling around looking to interact with the other kids. And I, I haven't seen any downside to what people traditionally or typically mean by stability. I mean, he's stable in that he has his mom and his dad with him all the time, which we're really happy about. Matt, that is so well said. Julie, go ahead. Well, on the practical side, we keep the naps. We're like stringent about naps and bedtime. And so when we, we kind of wrote like a, a list of like, if we're going to travel, what what are the highest priorities? And one is time for Matt to do his work, his coaching work. And two is keeping Pavo's sleep and nap schedule. Because we do, for me, and what I've like read about kids, I feel like that's a huge, a huge mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. You know, I want to throw one other thing out there, and Matt, you alluded to this, but people do what they have to do. I totally get that, and everyone generally is doing the best they can. Most children these days don't get to be with mom or dad 24 hours a day. Right. And what a gift that is that you can do that for Pavo, and I I agree, Matt, the stability of having mom and dad around like that. I mean, how rare is that, that a family can actually do that? And I would say that that might be one of the greatest fringe benefits or even primary benefits of the lifestyle that you guys have adopted. So congratulations. Well done. That's really cool. Thank you. Thanks. Let's talk about this lifestyle a little bit more. Um, you have a, a blog on your website that kind of explains how you got into it. You worked for three years and as a couple and socked away as much money as you could and invested. And then you've written books And then, Matt, you also have your coaching business, and this has allowed you the flexibility to live what a lot of people would consider a really a dream life. Um, What can you tell us about that? How's that working out? Uh, Julie's pointing her finger at me. I'm I'm big into the whole personal finance topic. When it comes to, like, hobbies, people have their thing. Like, my brother's into fantasy football. I'm into figuring out ways to invest in, you know, optimize tax situation. Like, I just like that kind of stuff, and it's really helpful for us, and that it helps us live this lifestyle uh, more efficiently. Um, we we set out when we were in our mid-20s to try and get a nice nest egg put away because I learned that investing in equities and investing in stocks in a diversified way is a good way to have money work for us. So while we're not super wealthy, we have a nice nest egg that we've been able to maintain a pretty steady net worth without much of an income for a while, uh, whether you know it's a, doing a through hike or doing what we're doing now. And then along the way, we just sort of stumbled into these other sort of side supplementary incomes with Julie's books and with the coaching business. Mm-hmm. Um, Julie wrote her first book just because she wanted to put her thoughts down. And this was when Kindle was just coming out and um, we just put it up there. And Yeah, it was kind of in the early years of like the world of self-publishing through Amazon like Matt's brother actually just recommend, he's like, Hey, I read about this self-publishing platform and I looked into it and yeah, I really just wrote the books because people would ask us all the time for stories. And it was just a way to get the stories written down and out of my head. So I wouldn't forget them and then to share them with people. And so, and then of course, you know, once you do one, it's like a through hike, you're like, Oh, maybe I should do another one. Right. <laughs> so after the second through hike, it was like, well, I'm going to write a book about this as long as there's something cool to say. And then mm-hmm. obviously doing the, the CDT, we were hiking knowing we were going to write a book about it. And then we wrote that together. And so, mm. yeah. That's really cool. So three books. What are the names of the books, Julie? So the Pacific, or the PCT book is called The Trail Life. How I loved it, hated it, and learned from it. 
And then the AT book is Between a Rock and a White Blaze. And then the CDT book is A Long Way from Nowhere. So, And is there uh, going to be a travel book on the, on the, in the near future here? I don't know. Uh, I think about it sometimes, and I don't know. I don't know if I have enough to say yet. Uh, it felt like the trail books are easier in the sense that you have a defined like, starting and ending point. Uh, and then the travel, I mean, we have some pretty amazing stories. I just don't know if there's like a, for me, there's not like a theme I have felt yet or like a pull to write something yet. You'll know it when it happens. Yeah. So talk about the the general feel for these books. Are these how-to guides or are these this is my experience on the trail guides or how-not-to guides? or (laughs) They're definitely not guides. Uh, (laughs) They're more just like a personal narrative. Like this was my experience. This is what was going on in my head. This is amazing things that happened to us, amazing people we've met. We met, uh, I would say some people probably think it's a little too much in my head <laughs> because, uh, I tend to be the more like erratic, emotional person, like kind of going up and down or wanting to quit or not, you know, not wanting to be out there or, um, whereas Matt's like, you know, just Mr. Optimist, just trudging along or just, <laughs> <laughs> but to, to Julie's credit, she is so just open and honest in her books. I mean, she puts it out there and some people want to read about, um, just like beautiful nature and how great it is to through hike. And Julie, I mean, she shares that part of it, but she also bears her soul to the things that are really hard about the lifestyle and the struggle to, to keep doing it. Um, so I give her kudos for it and a lot of people really connect with it. And yeah, it's been a cool thing. I mean, we're by no means, I mean, they're self-published books and so they're, we're not like professional writers, but we've connected with a lot of people. We have friends that we met through our books, through the books or through the website. And we now see them when we go visit, when we're traveling. And, um, it's been a really neat thing that was sort of a, it wasn't this like thing that we plotted out and walked. It wasn't like walking to Canada. It was just this thing that just sort of happened, which is, it's been a really neat enriching experience yeah i don't think a person could do a through hike and remain the same person in some ways we have to be changed by such a big experience like that and it sounds julie like you've captured some of that in your books yeah i would say so just within the books and then across the books like reading them from starting on the pct one through the at and then through the cdt i feel like i was obviously a much different person from the first one through the last and uh you know changed along each trail and changed across the trails and um, yeah, you can, totally can't be the same. So Matt, was it worth it, the life changes that came out of these hikes? Oh, totally. I mean, we've we've both changed as people. I feel like we've gotten, we feel like we just keep becoming better individuals. We become better as a team. Um, and, and life is good. We're happy. And there's just so many cool things to do and experience. And so, yeah, I've they just give you such new perspective too. I mean, sometimes when we're traveling and it's hard, I'm like, at least we're inside, you know, <laughs> at least it's not rain. I mean, we're not getting rained on. I mean, it's raining outside, but we're indoors or <laughs> I am well fed. I am not hungry or there's access to a grocery store a mile away. So, or like there's still running water. I mean, the, the like basics of life are the, the basic necessities are met. And so even that just seems so much easier. It's like, well, at least it's not a through hike. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I am going to read these books, Julie. I, I am excited to, to get through them. And 
I want to say thank you for being real. Matt says you were really honest about the experiences that you had. I think that's very valuable for the readers. So that's what appeals to me. I want to hear what your experience was. Good. Well, thank you. Uh, I would love your feedback after you read them. (laughs) You bet. We'll have to have you back on and just uh, go over some more of the adventures and talk about the book some more. But Matt, I want to talk about your coaching. We haven't had a chance yet to to explain to our listeners what that means. Um, You're an RN in addition to all of this, right? I am, but it, it's sort of, it was a project that I did. I've never actually worked an hour as a nurse. I had hundreds of clinical hours for school, um, but I started this coaching business because I've been a runner my whole life, and I've always been the guy that like gives workouts for people and helps guide them, and so I started this business while I was in school, and it's grown, and it's become this really cool thing that's actually re-inspired Julie and I in a lot of ways to to keep pushing ourselves to be better runners because we see how it's impacted these people that we're working with and how it's changed their lives as they become better runners. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm only a nurse by, <laughs> because I, I passed the test and I'll only be a nurse for probably a few years till my license expires. But that, that was a really valuable thing to know about. And I feel way more comfortable when we're out in the middle of some place where we are in the wilderness or we don't know the language to at least know kind of what's going on <laughs> if there's a health issue. Well, I don't doubt that it helps with their coaching, too, and that's kind of why I threw that in there. But mm-hmm. describe for us so we understand, who is your client when you're, when you're coaching? Who, who are the type of people that you help? Sure. Um, it ranges anyone from 5K up through 100-mile race. Actually, I'm training someone for a 200-miler next summer. Um, and it's mainly adults, individuals. I can do most of it online. Um, so – but but – so what I'll do is I'll write a I'll write the training plan for a runner. Tell them this is what to do for the next few weeks as we work towards your big goal of accomplishing X, and and then the big part is I'm I basically become their their running friend. I mean anything that's running related, whether it's you know what do I eat when I'm trying to run this hundred mile my first hundred mile or I'm trying to do Leadville say it's my first hundred. How, what do I eat and how do I do how do I do all the steps and so. I'm their guy. Like it's, I ended up developing really good relationships with all these people to where there are friends now. And mm-hmm. for example, I had two runners run the Berlin marathon in September. Well, we were in Europe for the summer. So we just changed our travel plans to go to Berlin and we met up with them there. And then another runner wanted to visit us over there for the summer. So we met up in Croatia for a week and then went to Paris with them. And I, so basically these, these people, like I, I help them become the runner they want to be based on my experiences and my knowledge of the sport and in turn, we end up with new friends and all these new experiences. So it's it's been this it – was, again, it was this thing we started just because I had time and I needed to do something else besides just go to, to school for nursing. And now it's this thing that really supports our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I can do it from anywhere as long as I have a Wi-Fi connection. Mm-hmm. Wow, I love that. So if people are interested in learning more about running and they think, man, I'm going to get a hold of Matt Urbanski here and have him give me – get me started on the right foot, so to speak. How can they get in touch with you about that? Um, yeah, I, we have a website right now. It's just urbanskycoaching.com, and that has our contact info and explains a little more about what what I do and what it costs and what, what they get for what they pay. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from anyone that has an interest, whether it's someone who's looking to do their first ultra or just to just get started in the sport. It's you had two runners qualify for Boston this year, yeah. which was their a goal, like sky and or pie in the sky goal that they never thought they would do. And so they both qualified, which was pretty amazing. 
You know, that's fantastic. I have not done a lot of running recently, but when I was younger, I did. And what I ran into were a lot of injuries. I overdid it. I didn't listen to my body the correct way. And I needed you, Matt, (laughs) to guide me through that so that I could eventually become the runner I wanted to be. And to be really candid, the injuries were enough that I had to back off. I thought, you know what? If I'm going to hike, I've got to quit running. Right. So that's that's where it ended up for me. So what advice would you have for people when they're trying to get started and ramp up and they're encountering those sort of challenges? It's, it's uh, I would say the biggest thing besides having a coach that's actually there like watching and helping, like, I mean, I, I'm paying attention to the signs of injury and making sure that we, we do things in a good order as far as how we ramp up the training and the different types of training. But if someone's doing it on their own, I think it's just a it's it's almost like through hiking in the sense that you think of it more as of the long term. It's not about like how quickly can I do this. It's how can I make this my lifestyle? How can I be a runner? Like I want to be a runner. What does that mean and how do I do it? And it's more about just consistency. And so if you're if you're doing too much to where you're getting yourself injured, you can't be consistent and therefore you're not going to improve as a runner and you're not going to be the runner you want to be. So I think it's more important to think about a steady approach and the longevity of just becoming this, becoming an endurance athlete as opposed to like, I have to do this workout, this one, you know, like from some plan you find online. Mm. So uh, yeah, you actually, your biggest hurdle with new clients, I would say is letting them listen for the first few weeks. Cause it, it seems so boring. Like mm-hmm. this is all I'm doing is just a short, easy run, you know, several times a week. It's like, yes, because otherwise you will get injured if we just hop into like five by mile tempo or something like that. So the biggest hurdle is starting slow enough, starting um, like listening to your body right away and getting through that first hurdle of getting over initial injuries, I would say. Oh, that's really cool. What a neat resource. We have a lot of ultra runners that have been on the show and a lot of our listeners are runners and uh, a lot of them probably want to be runners. And I think that by becoming a solid runner is going to equip you to do so many other adventures too. So I like what you're doing there, Matt. These people need you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Curtis. It's, It's a cool lifestyle. And yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Well, let's go back to the lifestyle. So we've talked about through hiking. We've talked about your uh, your ultra running a little bit. We've talked about the travel and the travel with a new young family, and it's so exciting. But you've built a lifestyle where you're not doing the 9 to 5. You're not reporting to a corporate office. You're not waiting for your vacation to go have fun. You're living it every day. And uh, can you give a word of encouragement or advice on how people can work their lives into a, a parallel track? <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> Part there, there's I, I I can think of two main things. One of them it's it's a similar advice when it comes to someone that wants to through hike. The biggest challenge is to just stop doing what you're doing and start the new thing that you want to do. It's that's almost harder than walking from Mexico to Canada in some ways to just break from the normal way that you're doing things. So I think seeing that there are other ways and that it's actually accessible, you just have to basically like change the way inertia is taking you in your normal course so you can alter and go a different course i would say that's one of the biggest things i could say Mm -hmm. um what else would you say julie um i don't know i'm the different type of thinker in that like i'm the stopwatch i'm like constantly thinking of like the literal like save this sell this get rid of that um but that's not it's not the best advice i would say it I would say, yeah, the the biggest thing is just changing the mindset or at least seeing things as options and, and not, and being okay that the option doesn't have to be, I'm just going to go like 
travel for a year or I'm going to go live on a boat with my family indefinitely. It doesn't have to be that way. I think, I feel like as long as you see something as an adventure, that that's what your adventure is. That's, that's how you make it. Mm. The thing that I've gathered from listening to you two right now is that you took off on this lifestyle. You decided you're going to do it. So you built your nest egg up and you, you made it possible to get started. But Matt, your business and Julie, your books, your business, mm-hmm. those streams of income, they almost came because you went out and started adventuring. It wasn't like you had it all figured out in advance. It was almost like, okay, I moved in that direction and look, things started working out. Right. Yeah. And, and to, to be fair, I mean, the fact that we saved up money and invested it makes us, I think gives us a little extra level of confidence to do this because we have a bit of a safety net. And we also have come from good, like we have a good stable family background. Like if something ever happened to where we needed help, we have help to go get like not just financially, but like our parents, our family would be there to help us if we really fell. Um, so like there is the practical sense that we, we feel comfortable because we set ourselves up to do it. And like there's tons of advice that we could probably give if we were being just like a detailed focus of, well, literally you could do this with your savings. You could do this with um, like all of your possessions. Like we have all of our possessions in a five by five foot storage closet in Seattle, which we're actually going to get rid of at the end of next month and pare down even smaller. Um, like there's those kind of things we could give advice about, but like those are really specific and they don't fit for everyone. But I think the mindset is the bigger thing as far as what is your adventure? You know, how do, what are my options and seeing options and then actually doing something about it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. That's, that's all I have to say. Wow. Good for you guys. Congratulations. <laughs> I find it so inspiring and I know that others are too, and they're going to want to know more. So I can point them again to your website, herbyville.com. They can learn so much more about what you've been doing and uh, it's, it's so beautiful. But I know there has to be a great story to close out today's show with either a time that things didn't go right or something really funny or something really inspirational that's happened along the way. What would that be? Uh, a story that comes to my mind. Uh, you can Matt tells it better, but I'm going to tell him what story to tell. Uh, <laughs> when we showed up uh, on the CDT and when our box of food wasn't there. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's a good story. Yeah. That's a good one. I don't remember what town. I don't even remember that there was a this was in the Bob Marshall Wilderness in Montana. And the only way to get food for this resupply was you mail a box of food to this town, to these people in a town, and they will ship it out or they'll cart it out to a lodge where no one usually is. And it's in a bear box. So. (laughs) So before the trail, me being like the planner, sent the box, sent the because you're supposed to send him a check. Got the date, told him when we'd be there. I was like, okay. Got the confirmation from UPS. It was delivered. Our food should be there. So then we show up with a couple other hikers that morning. Their food was there, but our food was not there. Oh, no. Everywhere we look, there's no food. And the guys are like, they they offered to help, but they didn't have enough food to take four of us to the next resupply point at Glacier. And we're literally on a... 30 miles away on a dirt road from the next town. Dead end uh, dirt road. Dead end. But then these these uh, a father and son were driving a pickup truck to the trailhead. This is like a three-mile jaunt off the trail to go get this food. So we're on the road back to to the trail figuring, like, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's, let's talk it out. The guy, we hop in the back of his truck, and he takes us to the trailhead. And once we get there and we're talking to him, he says, what, so what are you guys doing? And we explain our story, and then – can't help but tell him our situation. He's like, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, I guess we're going to hitchhike back to this town 30 miles down this dirt road whenever there's a chance and buy some food. And he looks at us and 
he holds out his keys to his truck and he says, look, I'm going hiking with my sons for the next four days. Just make sure my truck is here when I get back in four days. <laughs> That's awesome. And so we literally, I mean, he, he, this guy just let us have his, the keys to his truck. We drove into town. And of course the other guys who had food, they're like, oh, well, you're going to town to get food. We'll go with you. So we ended up having a great day. We ended up going to town. We bought groceries and brought the, the guys guide. got burgers and milkshakes. It was like, <laughs> this is a great day now. Yeah. So it was that those are the kind of stories that happen as hikers. They happen when we're traveling abroad where we just end up meeting people that for one reason or another, well, I don't know why, like they, they just they help us out or we end up with great friends and, um, then, and it shows that like, and it just shows like one, like the vulnerability of like being so far out there and like as hikers, you're vulnerable or when you're traveling with a kid, you feel really vulnerable at some points. But then it shows like the amazing kindness of strangers and maybe they're not always nice and you kind of tend to forget those, but at least you, you remember the really good times that people were really good to you. Yeah. Things, things tend to be crappy plenty of times, whether you're living a cool adventurous life or you're living your standard, you know, like there, whatever life you're living, there are things that, that just suck sometimes. But like in the end, all these good things are what we remember and we have tons of them from all these hikes and and travel. So we're, we're really fortunate. And I think that's one of the things that keeps driving us to just keep, keep going. Oh, that's beautiful. That really redeems one's opinion about the human race, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Go for a through hike. You'll feel good about people. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, Hey, thank you so much for your time today. And I, I can't believe it. We got through the interview and Pavo is still sleeping. I'm I can't shocked. believe it. We're both in shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for Pavo. We appreciate that. Though I really did want to hear him just a little bit in the background. That would have been fun. <laughs> Why don't you go pinch him, Julie? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> well, enjoy the extended nap time, and thank you so much for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Again, all I can say is, wow, very inspiring. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, Our pleasure. So thank you very much, Curtis. Oh, you bet. And as always, for our listeners out there, get out there and have some fun. Think about what that adventure is. And I encourage you, start taking steps forward to to achieving that life dream. Because as Julie and Matt have pointed out here, it can open doors of its own. Hey, don't forget about the 180 Flame Personal Natural Fuel Backpacking Stove. You can find that at 180tac.com. Thanks for listening today. Hope to see you at Outdoor Retailer. Take care.